And welcome one and all to another edition of the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk and TV. We are your hosts, myself, Rick Hale, Stephen Lancaster, both authors, both seasoned veteran ghost hunters. Hey, Stephen, how are you this week? Both metal bands with t-shirt. No, that's just me. That's just me. Oh, no. okay. Metal band with a t-shirt. Yeah, hold on, hold on. Before we go any further with that, I need to let... Our community of shadows know the level of narcissism <laughs> I am dealing with here at your friendly neighborhood Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk and TV. So a couple of days ago, Stephen Lancaster on his Phantom Music Box, which is his magnum opus of metal, um, put a picture of himself sitting and and it's it's really funny because it's like you made that picture very slimming i don't understand how you do that hey i've been losing weight buddy (laughs) but um anyways so it's he's wearing a t-shirt of phantom music box so it's like hey i like to support my good friend co-host and colleague so i asked him um where do i get that tea because it's cool, right? It's, you know, got your skull with the hat on it. It looks good. So now you would expect Mr. Lancaster here to say, oh, hey, good buddy, Rick, I'll send you one. Um, I'll get one out to you because, you know, I I know you like what I do, my music. No, 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 no. He doesn't do that. This is what he says. And I quote... (laughs) Upon album release, merchandise will be available. Thank you for your interest. Stay metal. Yes. I mean, I just, the level of narcissism here (laughs) is crazy. Like, dude, you you fucking spoke to me like I'm a fan. (laughs) Dude, when I I saw your post, I told my wife, I said, watch this. Initially... See, I actually deleted what I initially said. <laughs> oh, well, hold on a second. You you put it out there. What did you initially say? The was it like a form thing, letter? Like it was like a corporate form letter, right? No, no. What what I initially said was, Rick, until you grow titties and let <laughs> me sign them, you're not getting a t-shirt. <laughs> but I was like, ah, you know, <laughs> you know what? This was better than the than 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 the titties. <laughs> but really, though, I opened that up. I, I opened that up and I looked at it. I'm like, that patronizing bastard. <laughs> and then Rick takes it to the next level, and he makes a post about it on his personal profile. And twenty that's right, you motherfuckers laughed at it. And I <laughs> I have taken down those names. Oh my god! I, I just I, I I honestly I could not believe it. stay metal. <laughs> Fantastic! That is some that that's oh my god! So 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 you understand here, folks, the level of narcissism that I have to deal with. So Stephen, please, by all means, throw your goof ass picture up so everybody could see what I'm talking about. No, but seriously, folks, like Stephen, I, I mean, apart from being spoken to like a fan, I really <laughs> am looking forward to uh, to this album coming out. I can't wait to hear this thing. 
Yeah, it's a lot of work, man, because I'm such a damn perfectionist, man. Like yesterday, mm-hmm. I, I did I was working on a track called Doom Generator. And uh mm-hmm. I I probably spent six hours just on the drums alone because I, I wasn't satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> with it's just so I'm I'm shooting for October because there's a Friday the 13th in October. So Did my goal, yeah, that's my goal to have all 10 songs recorded, mastered, release them Friday the 13th. Because there's nothing more metal than Friday the 13th. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But uh, yeah, um, except you, of course. And my t-shirt. So, <laughs> your t-shirt. Yeah, so, you know, really, everybody, stay metal. Just stay metal. That's so, anyways, hey, what's what else is going on, man? Not much, man. Just uh, you know, you and me are are brainstorming show ideas. You know, you and me are still on our damn mission to get the truth out there and mm-hmm. get rid of this sideshow known as paranormal television. That's about, right. that's about it, man. And I think that that's one of the uh, really great things that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking, we, we're going to be welcoming, welcome, blah, blah, welcoming back to the show, Tony Cadwell. Now, Tony Cadwell is a ghost hunter. Uh, I believe he actually prefers the term paranormal investigator um, and a filmmaker. And we had him on once before and we talked to him about his film, Balsam, which is a, um, like a hotel up in the hills of the, of North or South Carolina, one yeah. of the Carolinas, yeah. and that he did with Kane Hodder. And yes. so today we welcome him back to the show, and we're going to be talking about his new film, Haunted Connecticut, that he filmed with Eric Vitale, who I'm not really familiar with all that much. So, I mean, that's going to be something new to me. And we're also going to be talking about um, some paranormal entertainment insider stuff, like... I guess that he has actually been, I think threatened would be too strong of a word here, mm-hmm. but he's actually, you know, been, been told that, you know, he as a filmmaker is not good enough and that he needs to give it up. And I, I, I know what that's like, Steve, because that happened to me 15 years ago when I wrote the um, first version of my first book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, and I sent it to Whitechapel Press, which is owned by Troy Taylor. And he basically, he sent me back this condescending letter that basically told me, it implied and said that I should just give it up and that I would never be an author. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard lots of things about this guy and, you know, whatever, be, be that as it may. But here's, here's the issue that we run into, I think, with a lot of people in paranormal entertainment. They get to a point in their career that they feel they're unstoppable mm-hmm. and that they feel they're indestructible. Mm-hmm. And which causes them to become incredibly insecure and paranoid. And they don't like the idea of somebody else coming in and showing that they can do it better. And that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about with uh, Tony today. Yes. I'm excited, man. I, I really like Tony. I you do know, too. We, we've had plenty of guests during our three seasons of this show. And, you know, they, they've all had their, their good qualities and stuff. Um, you know, I've got my 
favorites that I've I've really enjoyed just because it was good conversation and Tony was one of them. So I'm I'm glad that um we're having him back today. Yeah, me too. But you know, have you ex- have you ever experienced that, Stephen, where it's like you had some established paranormal celebrity um just tell you, hey, give it up, kid. Not paranormal celebrities, but I've had producers tell me that shit. Because, mm-hmm. you know, since day one of me coming on to the internet with, with my paranormal stuff, I've had producers shoot me down left and right and left and right. Like I said, Robert Kiviet, uh, the guy who did the producer who did Alien Autopsy, uh, Sci-Fi's Factor Faked, um, you know, I was on the horn with him quite a few times. And, uh, you know, he, he he's the one that I quote that said, Stephen, people don't want their paranormal busted. Ah, he's, yeah. he's the one that told me that. And there's been others, too. You know, I was just having a conversation um, with a wonderful lady from New Dominion uh, Pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, they they lost uh, the owner of their company last year. Ooh. Yeah, he died. And he, he uh he's a really, really nice guy. I, I don't feel right even saying his name. So you can just you, can, you guys can just look him up. But I had the privilege of talking with him, I want to say 2008, 2009, and I was pitching different show ideas and stuff. And you know, he yeah. kind of said the same. He was nicer about it. You know, yeah. he was like, This th- I just don't see a wide audience. For people wanting to see how it's really done. So even yeah. he knew, you know, the TV shows aren't <laughs> doing it how it's supposed to be done. Even he knew that, but he's looking at it, he was looking at it from a business side. Right. You know? But right. I disagree. I think there is an audience for that be- because it's the same regurgitated shit over and over and over again, man. Right. And it's right. like give give people something new. Give them something different. It it's it's all in the producer's job as to whether it comes across interesting or not. You don't right. have to show a team sitting there for nine hours and nothing happening. You you just gotta what what it is is these producers of these TV shows, Travel Channel, Discovery Plus, all that stuff, they just take they're just taking the easy way out. Right. You know, they won't, don't want to actually put any work into it to make it interesting. Well, they want to they they they, they want to keep that safe option. They want to keep the um uh Nick Groffs of the world and they want to keep uh the Zach Bagans of the world and they want to you know they they want to keep that kind of thing because they know and understand that that's a draw. And, you know, my, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, we were watching a, um, a non-paranormal related television um, on Discovery Plus called 1,000 Pound Sisters. And I don't know if you've ever seen this. I've, it's about, I've, I've seen some stuff online about it. Yeah, so you know about that. So, you know, my, my wife, Jamie, excuse me, I don't mean to you know, make it sound like I own her. Jamie was talking about, she, she was asking, she's like, oh, my God. This woman makes me so angry, Tammy, like the one sister who is, you know, the biggest. And she's like, she, it may, she makes me so angry. And, and why do they do this kind of stuff in reality TV? Because it's like they know they're going to get that kind of reaction out of you. And here we they, are talking about it. Exactly. They want to either outrage or titillate you. 
So that that is that is their main goal in reality TV across the spectrum. That's why you have like the Kardashians who have absolutely zero talent whatsoever and yet they're famous and that's another feature of reality tv you could have absolutely no talent whatsoever like you know like you know guys like us we've written books we've written thousands of articles at this point about the paranormal we do this show and it's you 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 are a very talented person. I mean, I will not be afraid to say that kind of thing. And um, they just they don't want that. They want somebody that they can mold and um, turn into what it is that they want to put out there, not what you know dudes like us want to put out there. And uh, we're going to be talking with that about Tony today. Mm-hmm. And he does he puts a really great product out there. He's a really um, talented filmmaker, and it's like he's open to learning. He wants to learn about this so he can sharpen his edge and make himself a better, a better ghost hunter. And, and I, I tell you, I've had many conversations with Tony. Um, so have I. You know, and what I really admire is he's had those opportunities to sell out. And talk about that today, you know, 90% of people would do it. They would do it, but Mm -hmm. people like us stick to our guns. No, you know what? If we never get it our way, oh, well, we tried, you know, nobody can ever say those two guys, all they ever wanted was a TV show. (laughs) No, what we want is the truth, whether we're the ones doing it or not. Right. It's just not very many people have the balls like we do to actually say the truth. And I, I just I can't believe that there's that many people that are that stupid. No, they know exactly what they're doing. You know <laughs> yeah, what I'm like, saying? I, yeah, I was involved in this thread the other day about about Zach and how it's like, you know, he's on his what, like 200th possession by now. And I, I'm like, how does this guy either not end up permanently possessed, assuming such a thing actually happens, or doesn't end up in a fucking loony bin, man? You know, with like a psych with a deep psychosis that is not going anywhere and can't be treated. And it's like, really seriously, folks, think about it logically. It just—I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. But I assure you, it doesn't happen once a week. <laughs> right. Jeez. Well, anyways, look, with that being said, we've got Tony Cadwell waiting in the wings of the Shadow Initiative. <laughs> so we're going to cut to a commercial, let you guys watch this. And then when we come back, we're going to be sitting with Tony Cadwell. It's going to be an awesome conversation. If you want the truth about paranormal production and paranormal entertainment this is going to be the episode for you since i was a kid i was always fascinated by the possibility of there being what we called ghosts
mean, I, I make a living trying to scare people, so it's kind of fun to me, for me to be uncomfortable. And welcome back to your friendly neighborhood shadow initiative, Paranormal Talk and TV. We are your hosts, Stephen and Rick. Joining us once again is Tony H. Cadwell, filmmaker, paranormal investigator, and all-around super cool guy. Thank you, Tony, so much for coming back on the show. Thank you guys for having me. It's always a pleasure um, and an honor to be here. Well, thank you very much. It's an honor to have you. So, you know, we've, we've been talking about, you know, a lot of stuff lately, either myself and you or Steven and you, but we're going to get to that. Um, first off, you know, the last time we had you on the show, we talked about your film Balsam that you filmed with Kane Hodder, as well as with, um, uh, Maeve Ibanez, who we've also had on the show, and Amanda Hanna, and uh, was a was was a really good, um, very laid back kind of thing. And I thought that that really uh, represented what paranormal investigations really are. It's a very laid back kind of thing. Uh, your second film that came out about a year ago, A Haunted Connecticut, that you did with Eric Vitali. Um, am I pronouncing his last name correctly? Correct. Eric there you go. I'm not really familiar with his work, not really familiar with him, but I did love the uh, film. So, you know, tell to, uh, tell our you know community of shadows a little bit about this new film. Um, I got a new we're it's weird. It's, it's kind of like, where do you start when it comes to these type of films? Because um the key is finding someone, some place that's actively haunted and you can never predict when these type of situations come up. So when I get a call, I typically like we did with Balsam, um, I go out to a place, do a quick pre investigation walk around with some equipment, just see what happens. You know, you is when, when making a true paranormal documentary, you can't come to a haunted location like you do a regular movie and say action and ghosts come out and start doing things. I mean, right. it doesn't work like that for the way I do it. I know it works like that for the way a lot of what you see on streaming networks. Um, mm -hmm. We could talk a little bit about that too. Um, but I got a call about a month ago and the guy's like, hey, you know, I think these places is haunted that I, that I own. Um, some weird stuff's happening. Would you like to come out? I uh, came out, we ran a Zoom recorder, I ran an ovulus, walked around, just see what happens. Um, make sure the site's safe, because that's always a, a concern, is, right. you know, is there, I don't want anything in there except for, you know, me and whoever I'm investigating with, because, you know, homeless animals, all that's kind of a concern. A lot of times people say, I'm hearing noises and scratching. You guys know it could be rats in the wall. It could be an infestation of raccoons. I mean, there's a million other reasons beside a ghost. But when I turned the ovulus on, when the pre-investigation, it was saying so much relative and intelligent communication for a place that had never been investigated before. Yeah. And I was like, I definitely want to come back here and spend some time. And the way I do my, my productions is I go out and film for a few days. If I get activity, it's a movie. If I don't get activity, then it's content that I have just sitting on a hard drive somewhere. 
Right. So let's uh, let's talk about the locations. In the film, you did two locations, and I've never even heard of them before, which was really great for me. Um, so you know, can you can you tell our our viewers and listeners a little bit about you know each location, what's going on there, and uh, you know what it is that you captured. Well, for Haunted Connecticut, I, I just I had never been to Connecticut before in my whole life. You know, being from North Carolina, mm -hmm. you don't always go to these bigger cities like New York and Connecticut. And I've always heard, you know, Connecticut's the most haunted state in, in, in the Union. So I was like, okay, let me find out. So I literally Googled Connecticut's most haunted bed and breakfast in and stuff like that in a, a location called Captain Grant came up and it had been on one tv show um recently the J jack osborne show portals to hell and i took a look at it and i was like okay this looks intriguing let's see what happens and we spent the night there and it was interesting experience i mean there were some things that i couldn't explain there was some uh, communications on the portal. Like one of the things that we said was, um, you know, are you on the other side? And this smart outlet type of ghost was like, looks like it. I'm like, <laughs> really? You know, I, like I, that. I, can, I, I can, I can hang with a ghost like that. And then I learned after that, that that location was, um recently featured on a netflix show 28 days haunted okay. where they spent 28 days there we had a whole different type of investigation than they did because that film uh haunted connecticut it was me eric vitale um my wife accompanied me and one camera person we took it just as old school as less people as possible because when you go in these locations if you try to bring a traditional film crew like you would film a regular um, picture, you would have so many people, you would never capture anything. I mean, I've done that with Balsam. We had kind of a bigger crew and, you know, we'd step there listening, trying to communicate. And the next thing you know, we got a PA wanting to bring us water. We got, you know, somebody making some type of noise, tapping their foot and, is difficult. I, I treat my investigations kind of like a military operation where we're just going in in a four or five person team and knocking it out and seeing what we get, you know? Right. I think that's important. And I know that Stephen is going to agree as well. Um, the most people that I will bring on an investigation is myself, another investigator. And if I'm working with a psychic medium, a psychic. Um, the, the less people, the more likely you are to get really solid evidence. So I love that philosophy. Um, the second place in the film, what was that second location? The second place was, a was, um, I needed a location, like four different locations fell through. And the second place was a funeral home. And the owner was like, Hey, I heard y'all looking for ghosts. Um, we got some uh, haunting here. The lady that she she's a paranormal enthusiast and, and an experienced investigator. She's like, I'm not trying to make any money off y'all. Don't 
tell the exact location of the place. She's like, but you have some experiences. Right. And I did some research on it because I was like, why would a funeral home be haunted? Just because someone passes away and, and you bring their body there, you know, I don't know. It's like a million questions with the paranormal is would your, does your, how long does your spirit stay with your body? You know, mm-hmm. would it stay there long enough that if you went to the morgue, why would you be trapped there? But then we found out that the place had a history beyond um, the funeral home. And mm-hmm. I'm very, try to be logical based when doing my research. And if I could find newspaper articles and things like that about a location, you know, it kind of gives you an idea. And what I have found about this is there was a shooting. Um, rumor had it that this gentleman shot himself as an accident. Um, but he was also married to a very young woman and he was very wealthy and she inherited his wealth after he passed. So I'm like, that seems suspicious. Yeah, that was very convenient for her, you know, and her brother, which it was her brother's gun to the newspaper that he, he, the man accidentally shot himself with. And this Mm -hmm. guy that, that this happened to was a, the CEO of a piano company, a manufacturer and pianos were huge back then. And the newspaper article said he shot himself. Well, it said he went through the eye, the bullet went through the eye. And if he had survived, he would have been blind. And he laid in that house for three, four days dying, you know, cause medical care back then wasn't like we have now. And, you know, the, the portal, which sometimes portals and spirit boxes can be open to interpretation of what it says, but the portal was making like a, a gunshot noise and, you know, was saying things related to the shooting, related to him. But then the ovulus was saying things that was related to the experience too, you know, saying like blind and shot and house. And I'm like, this is very interesting. Um, I never, when I do these type of films, I think y'all could see what like on a Connecticut, I never can definitively give an answer. Um, I piece it together just to kind of, this is what we came, this is what we got. You know, you decide, what do you think? Can you rationalize this explanation of why this is doing this? Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to explain sometimes and it makes you wonder. And I think that's one of the intriguing things of doing these films is, putting together something that um, can highlight what evidence you actually capture when you do a legitimate or attempt to do a legitimate uh, paranormal investigation. So, you know, I think it's interesting that you use words like legitimate paranormal investigation. You know, what is your meaning behind that? What is your definition of a of a legitimate paranormal investigation and how is it different from what you would see on say one of the big box television shows? Yeah, I, um, I'm just going to tell it like it is. I mean, might as well. There's a, a lot, you know, years ago I was sitting on the couch and I did a found footage horror movie called behind the sightings is, you know, Blair witch with clowns. I enjoyed it. I'm a huge horror fan. Mm-hmm. Um, Can't I, I was looking I was looking for another project and I was like let me see what I what I could do I kind of want to do something but I, I 
you know, as an indie filmmaker, you don't have infinite resources like you would working with a studio. And I worked with a larger studio when I did behind the sightings. But what you'll find when you shoot a movie, they take your footage you shot, they do the edit, and they finish the product for you. Um, but when you work as an independent filmmaker, you control everything from shooting it to the end product. And typically, you give it to a distributor, and then they make, make some changes. So my my wife was like, have you ever seen Ghost Adventures? And I was like, yeah, I no, I don't know anything. Like, no. So I turned on, um, they, I Googled them and looked, and I was like, holy cow, they got like 20 million seasons. And it all started from a documentary. Mm-hmm. So I was less interested in seeing what Zach had done with his seasons. I'd never watched one of his shows. I said, I want to see what that original documentary was like. And for me, um, regardless of what people think of Zach now, which everybody's entitled to their opinion, that original movie was just four guys with a camera going around seeing if they could find some ghosts. See, and, and it's like, I'll be honest with you. I liked the original documentary, watched it several times, and I even liked the the first season or maybe two of ghost adventures and then when he started getting into all of that woo 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 demon shit i was like all right i'm out because that's not what this is really all about yeah so i i doubted the equipment to be honest with you i was like okay the, you know hollywood has the capabilities of creating equipment that could be remote controlled or generate whatever responses so right. I started researching like the ovulus, the REM pods, the mail meter. Um, you know, my background is I was an intelligence analyst in the Marine Corps for nine years, seven months. Um, yep. So I try to very, I know it's kind of military intelligence for Marines is kind of oxymoron, but, you know, we did our best. Um, I you know, reached out to like Bill Chapel, who did dive. And I was like, how does this work? Can I get one? There was like three, four month period. So I had this theory. I said, if, if I could take this equipment and go to some of the same places Zach went mm-hmm. and the equipment acts in a similar manner, or I get good responses, then maybe there's something to this. So I'd never met a paranormal investigator, nothing. So I just flew out the, Went up to Goldfield Hotel, went up to the Clown Motel. Um, and I was sitting in the lobby of the Clown Motel and I said, Is there anything in here that wants to talk? And Avila said, No. And then shut up. So I was like, Phew. And then I met Maeve and Amanda just by chance at, at um, an event in Raleigh. I was talking with someone and I said, Man, it would be cool to do a paranormal thing because they were asking me what I was going to do next. And they're like, we just know, we just call these two ladies. I think they do investigation. So I was like, that's fine. So I talked to them and I said, let's go out, see what we can get. And that's when I was trying to film something. I was running the camera mm-hmm. and something grabbed me when I was following them and I about ran over Maeve. Um, You know, I don't, uh, it, it's scary when, something that ain't there actually touches you. Sure. And I just continued to research. And then I thought, okay, you know, maybe I should do this. And then I got a call 
from people that I knew that worked in TV that had done a lot of these big streaming shows. And it felt like a kid, you know, being told that certain things aren't real. Because they were yeah. like, why would you want to shoot one of these things? They're horrible to shoot. Yeah, they can be profitable if you can get on some of the streaming networks. But, you know, they're, they're, they're horrible because if you don't get stuff, you got to get stuff. I was like, what do you mean by that? And then they, I, I started getting the drift of what they were saying. And some producers that I actually knew just came out and said it was like, if you go to a location and you have a, a big crew, you know, a budget on a typical episode of some of these shows is $275,000 to $600,000. Some are as high Indeed. as a million. Yeah. So, you know, you have to produce a show. When you put forth $275 to a million, you have to have a 40-some minute episode for for that TV show. Right. So, so then that becomes a financial incentive to collect evidence at every location. And yeah. what I found in my experience, and I know you guys probably know better than me, some places you might go, it might be active. Some places you go, it might not. So Well, it's not, it's not called spontaneous phenomenon for no reason. I mean, it's, it's spontaneous. It happens when it wants to. It's like I tell people, you know, they're not circus monkeys. They're not there to entertain you. They're there to, you know, impart a message of, so, of some kind. So because the Travel Channel and Discovery Channel have, you know, largely monetized the paranormal entertainment field, we could call it that, mm -hmm. a lot of people in the paranormal community that would have been more authentic paranormal people, you know, paranormal investigators have chosen, they think the route to become successful in paranormal is to emulate the things that they see on TV, on social media, and then right. turn around and if they get enough likes, a producer will call them and put them on the Discovery Channel. But I got a, I got a rude awakening when it comes to that. Um, okay. You, you know, for everybody that thinks that that might be a pathway to success, it's not. What the Discovery Channel is doing is they have their little what I call them Justice League of people that they have under contract. Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, Destination Fear. You know, you see these guys every weekend at flea markets trying to sign whatever pictures of themselves for whatever Paracon that week. Um, they're not getting paid what the production companies get paid. Uh, they're there as contract actors. Um, and I see yeah, I said actors because a lot of them do act. Um and they, the Discovery Channel don't want anybody in that they don't already have under contract. It's like their little Justice League of the paranormal community. Um, how do I know that? I get a call because I had two movies out because I'm also a film distributor. So I shoot my movie, edit it, and release it with no corporate interference from anyone. I don't need anybody's approval to put an investigation on Voodoo, um, Amazon, any of the major streaming platforms. Discovery and travel doesn't want any competition. They want everything to come through them. So, you know, it's very threatening and not inclusive 
for someone on the outside to come in and start making product and successfully get it out there. Thanks to everyone that's been watching and, you know, supporting these films. And my idea was to stay true to just a few people with a camera going out and trying to find paranormal evidence. You know, I've gotten calls from people, uh, producers that are involved with major streaming networks. And they're like, why are you doing this? You know, what you don't have the background to do this and i'm like i don't have the background to do this what do you mean they're like you how are you qualified i was like as opposed to what i I will admit i have never been a plumber i've never worked for rotor rooter i've never been a rapper with insane clown posse and i've never worked some of these jobs that these guys that they found that they've assembled on discovery my background is in marine intelligence and I don't think that they could have the right to tell people and try to control who puts out paranormal investigations. Because by me showing a legit paranormal investigation of where we went somewhere, and this is the evidence that we collected, it 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 makes them look bad when they go to these locations and fake it. And they are right. faking it. I know how they fake it. I've I've worked with producers that worked on these shows i've had film crew try to get me to hire them uh to work on my films and i'm like why would i want to hire you to work on my film when you fake it all the time with you know the plumbers so it is it, it's, it's, it's just dirty for lack of a better way of saying it of how uh the paranormal entertainment community has kind of become and how that type of influence has has kind of distorted people who are truly enthusiastic about the paranormal field. I find well, that see, I find that comment um that you said, Tony, or or what was said to you that you don't have a background. You know, 90% of these investigators on TV, they didn't either. <laughs> it's all bullshit. We we've had a we had a guy on our show and um, he admitted on the show that he was just starting out, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. I made a joke with Rick the other day. This same guy made a post that now all of a sudden he's been investigating the paranormal since the late 90s. <laughs> and and this, this is – they all do it. I have personal yeah. friends who were on Ghost Hunters International. Um, the one investigator in particular – told me it was like a, a auditioning for a TV show, a movie. And she had an interest in it, but she was never an investigator until they hired her to be on Ghost Hunters International. And then they change history. Oh, yeah, she she was investigating this. The, the dude from Paranormal State, I knew him personally because I used to reign South Carolina. Okay? He didn't have a background either. But the TV show will make it out like he did. They, I have yet to see a show that actually puts real seasoned veteran paranormal investigators. Well, you know, I think that, and and that that has just something to do with that. We know um, what it really is all about, and we're not willing to change this stuff. But I also I wanted to to say to that as well that. Um, the only there the only way you're really gonna make it in this is one if you're really well connected or two 
you kiss a whole lot of ass. And that is the only real two ways that you'll make this. And I actually had a guy tell me that who was on a pair, a very popular paranormal television show years and years ago, that it's like, if, if you don't know people, you're just not going to do it. But I think that that brings us to a question that I have, Tony, because, you know, we, we were talking about talking points and, um, you know, the other day. And one of those was um, you said, hey, let's talk about paranormal entertainment and how this seems to dominate the drama uh, scripting of TV show versus how you shoot. So, you know, let's let's talk about that a little bit, because it really does seem like these TV shows kind of fuel the drama. They can either make you look like a hero or they can either make you look like a complete asshole. And, mm -hmm. it, and it, it fuels that drama, not only on the television show, but in the paranormal community as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people in the paranormal community view it as they're going to be the next big thing, so they got to mm -hmm. cut everybody else's throat. There's not but so many slots and so many TV shows available. Discovery's not going to put anybody on unless you're connected, unless they, you know, they already have their people. Sure. Um, you know, there's a there's a common thing. I've been working in entertainment for 15 years. Um, there's a common thing that people don't like to talk about that is, is true is social media stars don't sell TV or movies. The only type of people that do is people that are famous for other reasons, like Kesha. She has a huge following from her singing career, which is why they gave her a paranormal show is to get that audience on their kids. show. Yeah. So they basically have drama for no reason. And a lot of people, you know, I wish everybody success, but life just isn't like that. Everybody can't be on the Discovery Channel if that's their goal. Um, that's not my goal. After talking about this today and the things I talk about, people ain't no way in the world after the conversations I've had with their producers that they're going to allow me to be on any show. Um, mm -hmm. which that's not, that was not my end game. Um, but that kind of, 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 uh, survivor, it's almost like the TV show survivor, it, the people in the paranormal communities on the Island and they're trying to vote each other off and get each other out of there because they think if they're the survivor, they can get a show. And that's the drive for show. The drive for followers is, is is what is fueling a lot of this drama, I believe, you know, it, people yeah. and, and, and it's causing people to, to fake evidence. Um, yeah. And, you know, like you said, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, like Steven said, they wouldn't let a, a season's investigators to come in there because if I got, if, if you're the investor and you got $600,000 out to shoot this episode, you know, and you're going to come in as a seasoned investigator and say, oh, we didn't really, we can't get nothing. This isn't active. This isn't how this works. And then when the producer comes in with his little, well, why don't we do this? Because this is how they, this is how they start you. Is mm -hmm. they'll be at a haunted location and something will happen, but camera wasn't on. So the producer will come in and he'll say, hey, camera wasn't on, but we all heard that happen and we all heard that noise. So let's recreate this 
So then the investigator then compromises and recreates the evidence and reacts to recreated evidence. Right. And then that's the slippery slope. The next thing you know, you show up on set and they have a script and they could pick some of these, some better people that could actually act that that's what they need to do. If they're going to do it this way. Um, you know, my advice to people, if they just want the fame is to go out and do like one of these Blackwell ghost found footage things, do a legitimate horror movie based on some paranormal story, because if you're going out faking evidence to get views or to create content, you know, that's just one of those things that you might as well just create a good fake story. I mean, paranormal activity, Blackwell goes, uh, what was that? Bad Ben. They all made a ton of money. So maybe yeah. that should be the route if, if strictly you don't have an interest in the paranormal, but you want the fame and you want the money. You know, that's what I would have done, you know. But, well, he, you know, here's... Oh, go ahead, Rick. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, but here's here's that's one of the things in this is like you have a lot of people that want to get involved in this that have like really no talent whatsoever. Um, they can't act. The The only thing is, is like they can hold the camera and they may look good in front of it. That's pretty much it. Um, so this is like an easy way for them to get in. Um, I, I remember years ago, I, I co-hosted a show called Paranormal Underground Radio, and um, we were like one of the very first um, podcast, paranormal-related podcasts out there. And I had a guy off off air tell me, and I'm not going to tell you his name, but um, he actually told me, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm using this uh, to be famous. I don't really know a lot about this, but I know how to spin it. And we've had a, we've had a dude on the show like that before, Steve, and it's like he didn't know what he was talking about. And I felt bad for him because I actually like him as a person, but it's like, he just, he didn't, he didn't know what he was doing or what he was really talking about. And you do see that. Well, what I find extremely interesting and Rick can back up what I'm about to say, Tony. Um, nowadays in 2023, uh, nobody gives a flying fuck about Stephen Lancaster. Okay, but the interesting thing, the interesting thing, historically, I proved you could not only be successful, but make money on a show that did nothing but the truth. Back when YouTube started, when it first started, I decided to start taking my investigations with my team, the pit crew. You know, Pitt being short for Paranormal Investigation Team. And if if we did a good investigation and there were some things there that were questionable, kind of like your philosophy, you be the judge as the viewer. Um, I would take that footage across eight cameras, 64 hours of footage, using real film back then, get it into the computer, cut it up, and put it on YouTube as a show called Monster Vision TV. We were the very first paranormal team to take YouTube by storm. And Rick can back this up. This show, I think we did six seasons of it from the point YouTube came out to the last one being 2013. We were at 2 million, 3 million subscribers, views, and this was the real shit. This yeah. was the real shit. If we did an investigation and nothing came of it, 
it never became an episode. And that's what started everybody and their damn brother putting their investigations up on YouTube. But we proved it independently. We had production companies from California, you know, from North Carolina, trying to buy our idea. And I would never, uh, Rebel Entertainment was one of them out of California. And they wanted to own it. They wanted to own the brand, the show name. They wanted to own the team name. They wanted to own it all. And I refused. I was like, no, the reason this is working is because I'm the one doing it and putting it all together. So it was proven that it would work. So when these producers try to say, nah, you can't do it that way. Bullshit. It was done that way. It's just unfortunate. You know, we're talking two decades ago. You know, nobody even remembers it. And, and that's the thing is that was before, you know, YouTube was really good. And that was when YouTube was basically, it was show you videos. It was before the algorithm took over. And these guys that are creating paranormal content now on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, TikTok, you have to create the content based on the algorithm. If YouTube says we're not recommending anything but 16-second videos, if you're not creating 16-second videos, you're not getting the views. Now, how are you able to legitimately show something if you're creating content for an algorithm? And that that's one of the things. If you look at the YouTubers now, like if I look at your YouTube channel, I see all that paranormal stuff. But when you look at some of these guys that are famous YouTubers in the paranormal field, go down and look at their very first videos. Videos. These guys are making content because they can get views on the paranormal. And then when the paranormal doesn't give them the views because the algorithms change, they're going to go back to pranking people in the grocery store, or yep. you know, fart yeah. jokes and all the other stupid stuff that they were doing. Um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, things have got so bad. I think the most successful YouTube is a gentleman called Mr. Beast. I mean, he gives away hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars just to get his views. But I think he, they said his channel is worth a billion dollars. My uh, son talks you, about Mr. Beast all the time, loves him, watches his videos. And, you know, and yeah, it's wonderful that he's giving away this money, but he also gives away that money for clicks. And that's kind of where you know, I, or views or whatever. It's kind of where I have a problem with them. My wife, do, something good, do it. My wife talks about Mr. Beast all the time, but I think we're talking about two different things. Oh, for God's sake. Anyways, Tony, pardon Steven. He has a narcissism problem. Big one, big one. That's what uh, she is. Oh man. But yeah, that's, that's what gets me is, these guys will do what the algorithm tell them to do. And they think social media will translate into them getting a show. My, my goal, what I want to do is I, because I enjoy it and I'm shocked at the success that I've had with these couple of films is just go out and film. If I get something, put it together. It, for me, this is the most terrifying thing that you can do. Like TV doesn't do it justice when they're in there. I feel a cold spot. Oh, this <laughs> and that. When you're in a location and you're the only person in the room and stuff starts happening, 
to me, that's scary. I don't do this. I don't go out and investigate for fun. I go out and do this because this just takes so much out of you. It's tiring in the effect that it's emotionally draining. Um, and it scares the, the, me to death. And I mean, y'all see my movies. I don't run around or act, act crazy when I get scared. Sometimes, I mean, if I get scared, I'm going to run. I mean, I fight a person all day long, but when you can't, you can't fight something that ain't there, you know? And it, it it's just, I know some people will listen to me say this and be like, oh, he's just in it for the excitement, but it is very exciting. It's, you're communicating with something that is unexplainable. And right. especially when you get intelligent responses to, to questions that it's a one in a gazillion chance that one of those pieces of equipment is going to say something or react. Um, it's amazing in my opinion, but yet it is terrifying. Um, y'all are going to laugh when y'all hear about what happens I will tell y'all real quick if it's okay what happened to me last night. Sure, go ahead. Embarrassing thing ever. I was like, yeah, I don't want to tell nobody, but heck with you it. Started on an investigation. Worse than that. Oh um, man. <laughs> I'm I'm a fan of the SDs method, but yep. I think the way they use the SDs method is incorrect. Um, and this is just my opinion. Everybody, I want I want to preference all this by. You know, you got to find what works for you in the way you like to investigate. And nobody's an expert in this until you pass away and go to the other side. Then you're an expert in the paranormal. But until then, the living, we're just kind of feeling our way around and trying to come up with some. Um, that's just my personal belief. So I don't think the person that's under the SDs, I think they should be in a room by themselves and the person asking the question should be in the other room. And I don't think that the person that's in the other room should be able to hear the person under. And the reason for this is because you can guide a conversation based on responses and create content. But if I'm in one room under Estes and you're in the other room asking the question, you don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what you're saying. When I sync that footage up and it gives me intelligent responses, the integrity of that data is just amazing, in my opinion. Um, and I've had some good evidence on that. So last night, we were, you know, the site we were investigating had as a construction site. Um, you know, so I, I had one chair. So I gave the chair to Maeve, and she went under the SDs in one room. I was in a whole other room. And then Amanda was asked, asking the questions in a whole nother room and nobody could, could hear each other. Um, so I sat on a bucket, you know, and I'm kind of a bigger guy. So I was on the bucket. I was under for about a few minutes. And then I can't believe I'm telling you. And then, uh, <laughs> I thought the guy would – I have a strict rule when I film, no practical joking, you know, let's let's be serious because this could be dangerous. You're in a construction site. So I thought either one or two things. Um, I was warned by the owner that people, sometimes homeless people, have broken to this building. Uh, sometimes teenagers had broken in and vandalized it. 
So, you know, I was very cautious of that, but I was, it was a choice because I have such a small crew that I let the, the extra person set with Maeve to watch her because I didn't want to leave her in there. So I'm in this room alone, blindfolded, sitting on a bucket, listening to a spirit box run backwards. And I'm saying whatever I hear. And the next thing you know, somebody grabs me by the arm. So I thought it was like my guy messing, like the guy from the other room coming in messing with me. Mm -hmm. So I lean up and I like, get off, like get off me. Cause then part of me thought like, okay, maybe just some homeless person, like let me fuck with the guy on the bucket. Yeah. The blindfold on. And when I did that, I lost my balance. <laughs> my big self fell off. <laughs> hey, you know, it, it it happens, man. I mean, I've stepped in holes during investigations and fallen flat on my face. Yeah, I get it. I feel blindfolded. And when I look back at the footage, it looks like Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to stop the fall. We were all laughing at that because there was no stopping the fall when you're blindfolded. And when you're as big as I am, once that weight starts moving, it's going to move. And sure. Then, <laughs> and then I was like, oh my goodness. That was, that was, that was crazy. And then it started freaking me out because I'm like, it's funny. But then what the heck tried to grab me? Like it was such a strong grab mm -hmm. that it, there was, I, at no point did I think it was paranormal. I was 100% convinced that it was a person grabbing me. So that's why I reacted that way. Yeah. Um, you know, but that was that was funny. I would if yesterday you'd have said, hey, what's going on with the investigation? I would not say I was going to fall off a bucket. And I'm sore to it. <laughs> well, one of the things well, I, want, I wanted to touch base on real quick before we move on when we're talking about YouTube, I think it's harder now in 2023 to get anything off the ground. And the, re the reason I say that is like when the Internet first came out, it was it was an independent musician's dream. Mm -hmm. This was a way to get independent music out there. And there's so much good content, you know. Well, then the mainstream artists. Guess what? They decided we can use the internet too. Well, then you had YouTube come out and, you know, I put out my stuff and there was some other well-known independent people putting out paranormal stuff and it was great. Well, now we're at the point where the celebrities, these people that are already in the mainstream are swarming the internet. And of course they're just, they've just taken it all over. So it's like, we've lost that medium for for the independent artist it sucks we've i i think you know we we've reached maximum density on this because when i start when i started investigating back in the olden days of 1991 if you would have said to me that this will one day be huge and that it's going to be all over something called the internet and that everybody is going to, you know, everybody and their brother is going to be racing to be the next big paranormal superstar. I would have looked at you and said, you're fucking out of your mind because there's no way that you're going to take this, which is still considered a fringe thing, make it mainstream and then make everybody want to be a part of it because there it's, it was seen as a way to uh, gain fame. 
and notoriety. I, I would have I would have thought you were insane by saying something. Like well, the that. thing about it is, if you take what Tony is doing, okay, mm-hmm. if you take this show, if what Tony was doing and us doing this show came out in two thousand five on the internet, dude, we'd all be killing it. We would all oh, yeah. be killing it. But now you're mm-hmm. in competition with the mainstream. So it's because the mainstream took over the internet. Right. And then you have like, if you look at some of this, the content that these guys are producing is cheap to produce um, Mm. for YouTube that, you know, they buy a couple of DSLRs, the paranormal equipment kind of outrageously priced some of it. Um, But I'm very careful with what equipment I use because I don't trust some of this stuff. Um, You know, and, and they, they, they have corporations behind them. Some of these people that are getting propped up on, on on social media and you know, social media fame. I mean, what is, I was talking about this with someone the other day, you know, what is a like, what is a stream? What does it work? And you can have a hundred thousand followers and not be making any money. You know, I have friends that have half a million to a million followers. And when I look at my analytics and reach for my my company, I'm just getting tripled the traffic than they are with a huge amount of followers. And then you have these guys out here that just buy followers because they think that's buying fame. And, mm-hmm. you know, hey, there's a lot better and quicker ways to getting fame than to try to run around in the dark at, at some of these locations. And when we go to the locations, when you talk talk about some of these locations, a lot of these famously haunted locations aren't really haunted. They're oh, yeah. uh, older properties that someone bought that create a story around it or that has a history, and they let somebody in. And you know, I'm, no, I'm kind of all over the place with this, but it's, it's just a lot to me. I look at ghost hunting, or I look at, at it more like hunting than investigating, because I'm just out somewhere and i'm not resolving someone's personal issues like a house case and stuff like that i'm out filming and seeing what i get you know and 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 trying not to draw you know conclusions based on you know stories of the location but these locations know these youtubers are faking it they're they will let in a youtuber or let in a, a tv show because they want regular paranormal enthusiasts to come out and rent the place and do these private ghost hunts. Don't be on a private ghost hunt, especially if it's with anyone that has had a Discovery Channel show. These guys don't make what you think they make on on these platforms. Um, They don't own their content. They don't even, they they can't even sell a DVD of their TV show at, at a Paracon. You know, so I'm, and if you look at the paranormal movies that are coming out, is me and Kendall, who did Sleepless Unrest and The House in Between, and then one other guy, I think his name's Chad, he kind of got out there, he did a 77 minutes. There's only two or three released across major platforms that not, that aren't affiliated with Discovery. You know, so we've really... I think as individuals that are enthusiasts and involved in the paranormal community, um, yeah. have to take this back from the corporations. 
you know that was that was actually going to be my question that's how i wanted to you know wrap this but first off i wanted to say you know going back to what you said about social media and youtube and all that it's like i characterize it once as saying finding youtube or social media fame is like being the smart kid in the dumb class <laughs> i think that that's i think that's a really good way of characterizing it but i wanted to wrap up this interview with with what you're about to say and i just want to say this how do you change this how do you make it into a um, pure form rather than just, you know, a bunch of people running around for clicks and views and fame? How, how, do, you, how do you change it? How do you make it better? Well, I think you always, in this day and age in 2023, you're going to have people on social media that's going to, you know, do whatever they do on social media for the likes. And sure. I see guys that want to be taken, ladies that want to be taken as a serious paranormal investigator. But if, there's a trend on TikTok. They're doing it, you know, and it, it, it's. I just kind of ignore these people because they're not going anywhere. It's like you said, it's being the smart, the, you know, the smart kid in a in a dumb class because social media has dumbed us down as a society. What I think mm -hmm. is the real danger here is what these streaming platforms are doing to dominate and exclude uh, people from the paranormal community. You know, why is it that the market can support 25 seasons of ghost adventures, but an independent filmmaker like me is getting calls from people telling me not to do it. Yeah. You know, that's the questions we got to ask them. When you see an independent production, whether it's mine or one of these other guys, and, and, and it, and it seems that is put together, like I know my stuff's legitimate because I shot my stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know about other people's stuff, but, when you see stuff that looks like it's legitimate, that looks like it's being true to what the community should be, support it. Buy the DVD, um, stream it, recommend it, share it. And I think that's how we change is getting the word out there of people that are putting together products and podcasts and things like that that are true to what the community should be versus what the Discovery Channel is telling us that we should be. Um, you know, we have a TV show, you know, Discovery now has competition and these comp competitors want to get in this paranormal space, but they don't want to risk 600,000 on not getting evidence and not having a show. Um, sure. there's a better way to shoot these. And I think I've kind of proven that, um, where you don't have to spend, cause it's like, what are you spending 600,000 on, you know, really at the end of the day? Um, but I think that's how we do it is support the independent and take it back from the corporation. Once corporations own something, they distort it. I, I got offered a TV show uh, right after Balsam came out and I'm sitting there with a major platform um, mm -hmm. that produces major shows. And they say, Hey, you know, why don't we just like, instead of you and your people, why don't we just like you produce it? We take the name. Um, and we just get a celebrity and have them set in the dark somewhere, um, you know, with uh, and see, see how they react. And then however many minutes that they're in the dark, we we um, we donate money to their charity and then get their reaction. I was like, well, what kind of equipment is this actually ghost hunting or what we're calling this setting in the dark? 
And I just laugh because they're like, well, nobody really understands a lot of the equipment anyway. So why even use it? It doesn't, a lot of that doesn't translate to good TV. Um, and that's what these guys are concerned with is good TV. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that we just stop supporting these things. You know, every week there's a Paracon now. Why is that? Because people are trying to make money. Yeah. And it's like, don't support things that don't support your values in the community and control it with the purse strings. You know, I think that's the only way back and call them out. I mean, Netflix recently had a show on it, had the same location I had in Haunted, Connecticut. Captain Grants. The guy mm-hmm. walks through there and says, I'm getting the name Adelaide. Well, I know this because I was there during my movie filming and the name Adelaide is written on the door of the room. <laughs> Oh boy. But unless you've actually been there, you don't know that. You're thinking the guy's legitly getting a name and you know the, it is what it is. I mean, but that's the kind of stuff we gotta start calling out. I mean, it and when you have friends, not saying you guys, but a lot of you guys listening have friends that's in the paranormal community that's been on these shows. When that mm-hmm. friend tells you you know, yeah, I was just trying to get on Discovery. I faked it. Shame on fake shame these people. I think oh, yeah. that's we, how we do we, it too. We, we know we know a guy, Stephen. Both you and I have a mutual friend who openly says that. Openly says it. And I think once we start doing that, then and create an opportunity for, you know, more authentic products to come out, more authentic investigations to be shown. Um that'll that'll gradually change it if discovery doesn't find paranormal uh profitable anymore then they'll they'll get rid of it i mean heck they don't even want to do they wouldn't even give give steve shippy his own you know renewed haunted in the heartlands they they're making him do shock docs you know but they're keeping him under contract you got um you got a lot of these shows where they don't even want to go out and shoot paranormal content. They want everybody that investigates to send in their content so they don't have the cost of even producing the actual investigation. Don't right. support that stuff. You know, if you're out there investigating and you get uh, called by a producer with one of these shows, they're not going to tell you they're with one of these shows and they want to license footage from you. Don't license them the footage. We as enthusiasts should block out these corporate vultures and when they don't find it profitable anymore um they'll let loose of this control that they've established you know and there's no such thing in my opinion as a pair of celebrities like what is that um you know and i know it might be another topic later on down the road but we got to stop giving credence to things that there's not credence for you know and then stay true to each one of us has a reason why we're interested in this and pursue your interest. All right. Well, you know, thank you so much, Tony, uh, for coming back on the show. Candid conversation. Great conversation, as always. And I think that you will definitely be coming back again because I think that Stephen would agree. You're your favorite of ours, man. <laughs> we, we like having you on the show. Thank you. So, um, yeah, thank you again. And, uh, you know, and for, you know, telling our listeners and viewers how it really is, because I think that people do need to hear that. Yeah. And I appreciate you guys and the work you guys do. Um, Thank you. 
it, it's it's one of those things that without you know podcasts like this, people are just going to listen to some corporate stuff of people, you know, sugarcoating. And I think it's time we just get out here and tell tell the truth, like you guys have been doing for a long time. Well, there you have it. All right. Thanks again, Tony. We'll definitely have you on again in the future. And we'll definitely have time to talk about what a Paris celebrity is, because even I am like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> so thanks again, Tony. Have Thank a good you day. Guys. You too. Bye-bye. That's how dark it is in here right now without the night shot on. Are you on the other side? Devil! You just said, do you think you need help? And it says devil. Someone touched me before. Who's up there? I honestly don't feel safe. All right. Give me a Sorry. Pounding noises, weird noises. We just experienced that. Hey guys, welcome back to the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk and TV. Not the paranormal TV you're used to. You're here with Rick Hale, my best buddy in the whole world. And myself. Except when he's talking to me like I'm a fan. And myself, Stephen Lancaster. Both paranormal investigators, both authors, both just wanting to get the truth out there. We just finished another great interview with Tony H. Cadwell, who is once again working on another independent paranormal project, man. He was on location. So that's cool. So like when that documentary comes out, we can be like, hey, we were we were talking to him while he was there filming. Exactly. Yeah, and it was it was a great conversation. Buckets. <laughs> We've all had those embarrassing moments. I mean, I remember once I farted. It just sort of squeaked out during an EVP session, and I'm like, "Oh, excuse me." <laughs> but um, yeah. So real good, con candid conversation with Tony, man. I mean, you can always count on that cat to tell how it is. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking you just said your embarrassing moment. I, I think the one big one I had was um, the very first time I was filming for TV was for um, the A&E biography, My Ghost Story. And we were filming it on the Brentwood. It mm -hmm. was the last shot. Now, keep in mind, we had been there all night, all damn day. It's now turning into the evening of the next day. And the final shot was just to have me, 
carrying all my gear because the first shot is me carrying my gear into the Brentwood. So the last mm-hmm. shot was going to be me carrying it out, coming down the steps and walking away. I start coming down the steps, dude. I am so jacked on fucking energy drinks and just tired. I took that first step, completely missed it. Rolled down the stairs. I mean, when I say rolled, I'm talking like Critters, Sonic the Hedgehog, roll, okay? And, dude, the cameraman jumps out of the way. Because he's got it on a tripod, so it was a nice stagnant shot. Grabs it, jumps out of the way. I roll past him. And he's like, dude, are you all right? And I was like, holy crap, man. I was like, can we shoot that again? That's awesome. I thought you'd be hurt. I was like, nah, I rolled into it, man. I'm a trained professional. Yeah, I do my own stunts. He's made of metal. Uh, um, yeah. So, hey, you know, once again, thanks to Tony Cadwells. But, uh, hey, how about we do some news of the weird, man? We got to, I got two. There was actually originally going to be four, but I got, I got two that I want to do because we're kind of, you know, running yeah, on. Running yeah. Time Let's here. close out the show with some news of the weird. Yes. So this is a great one, right? This is the one that you brought a couple of days ago. And I wasn't even going to make this be part of news of the weird. But let's do it. After School Satan Club holds first meeting at Virginia Primary School. Now, okay, Virginia. Um, my my aunt and her family live in Virginia. So I mean, this is like this is like the third hole on the Bible belt down here, man. Like this, I, I can't imagine that something like this is gonna go over well. So Chesapeake, Virginia, after being put on hold for months. An after-school Satan Club held its first meeting Thursday night at B.M. Williams Primary School in Chesapeake, Virginia. The ACLU of Virginia called the development a victory for free speech and religious liberty. Under the First Amendment, the government can't treat one religious group less favorably than another, and it can't give potential objectors or hecklers a veto over popular speech by charging the speaker a security fee, said Matthew Callahan, a senior staff attorney for the ACLU of Virginia, that the school district ultimately recognized this and is taking steps to correct these unlawful actions and policies in an enormous victory for free speech, religious liberty, and democracy. The ACLU says Chesapeake Public Schools withdrawal of the security fee originally proposed in response to concerns about anti-Satanist protesters and other hecklers was one of three critical developments that led to the first meeting. CPS also agreed to refund facility use charges the ACLU says were illegal and change policies to put all non-school groups on equal footing by prohibiting the use of school facilities before 6 p.m. Okay, so I'm going to end it right there. And I'm just going to I'm just I'm going to go out and say it first off. I mean, okay, yeah, I, I think I would rather hang out with the Satanists before I hang out with the Christian. One, they're less judgy. Two, they listen to better music. Um, so that that's where I'm going to come down on that side right there. But when it comes to any kind of religious stuff, how about just teaching my kid how to read books, man, and do math problems? That's kind of all I really want. Like I remember one day Theo came home from school with this pamphlet for like an after-school um religious club and it's like it's like hey man i got no problem with people practicing their religious liberty regardless of what religion they may be um but it's like 
I just, I just want my kid to go to school and learn how to read books and do math problems and, you know, learn how to use punctuation and grammar correctly, which is a huge problem these days, probably because of this kind of thing. Um, so, hey, you know, I'm sorry, Satanists, but I'm going to have to put you there with the Christians, man. You guys don't belong there. That's my take on it. I don't know, man. I, every Satanist I've ever met, has been as nice as can be. I think people yeah, have a mis misperception mis um, of what <laughs> Satanism actually is. Yeah. Um, kind of like the witch trials and all that crap. But I agree. It. I think religion in general needs removed from schools. Period. Kids, mm -hmm. kids are influential, you know, and, and I don't think there should be anything other than academics taught at school yeah like you said everything else can be learned on your own you've got your own family values and there's places called the library right or church i mean yeah. hey, you know you know regardless if you you know worship almighty god as you however you may see him or whatever or you know his infernal majesty satan it's like just you know do it on your own time, man. I, I, I don't, I don't want you bringing that stuff into, into schools. I mean, yeah. just, you know, worship, worship at your leisure, but worship in places where it needs to be worshiped. Yeah, so, like this show. Uh, yeah, like exactly. You can worship our show. Um, Please. <laughs> on a lighter note, this comes from uh, foxnews.com. Irish rooster with a violent past. Oh. Kills a man. Kills man with the uh, with attack to the back of his leg. Court says now. Okay, we had to get rid of this one rooster a couple of years ago that we had. His name was Cooper, you know, or Coop as we called him. We had to get rid of Coop because he did attack Theo and left a huge gash on the back of his leg, and he still has the uh, um, scar to this day. This was like two or three years ago. So let's let's learn about this Irish rooster. An Irish inquest found that a man who died in April 2022 was attacked by a rooster with a history of attacking people, according to reports. The Irish examiner in Cork, Ireland, reported that Jasper Krause was allegedly attacked by a Brahma chicken. These are mean fuckers, too, boy. These Brahmas, they're mean. Uh, a Brahma chicken that was moved to his property in Ballinasloe, Ireland, after it attacked a child. Garda Yoon Brown said that during the judicial inquiry that he re he responded to reports of a sudden death on April 28, 2022. And when he arrived, he spoke to paramedics who said CPR attempts to revive the victim were unsuccessful. Brown said the man later identified as Krauss was on the ground in the kitchen in a pool of blood with a wound on the back of one of his legs. Corey O'Keefe, who was attended at Krauss's house, told his daughter, Virginia Guinan, what happened? Um, no relation to Guinan from Star Trek, the next generation. Um, when hey, Krause's daughter, thank you. You say it like it's a bad thing. When Krause's daughter arrived at the house, she saw blood on the floor and paramedics performing CPR. The examiner reported Krause had a puncture wound on his left leg and a trail of blood from the house to a chicken coop outside. I mean, first off, Brahma roosters are they're really mean and th this was this was what attacked my son 
and they're big and they're mean and they're fast. And it's like, I mean, it just looked like a little scar on the back of his leg. I can't believe that this thing managed to kill a full grown man. That's Rick, insane. I, I got to tell you, I've been waiting for this because last night I'm laying in bed with, with Christina. We were watching um, the new Megan movie, you know, the robot girl horror flick. Sure. And okay. uh, I start laughing. And she's like, what are you laughing at? And I said, well, Rick just sent me a message. And she said, well, what did, what did he say? And I said, well, he was sent, he always sends like some news of the weird stuff. And I read her the one about the fucking killer chicken. <laughs> and she said, well, Rick's the cold-blooded blooded chicken killer. Just He should be the one that they call. Oh, please don't have brought that up. Yes, I took... <laughs> Yes. Oh my God! We're gonna have people over us. This is your reputation, man. Yes, I, I am. I am the one that that sent Coop off to his final reward because it, it wasn't the first time that he had actually attacked someone. Well, please um, you know, to tell people. You know, was it blind rage? You know how to go down, Rick. People want to know how a wood-legged man killed an attack chicken. This is newsworthy. Um, this is our own all, news of the weird. All, you know, all, all I'm going to say is, and I really just, I, it it was the absolute worst thing I've ever had to do in my life. That's all I'm going to say. Jamie, I, mean, I, I want to say to you, I, I apologize. I, I really feel, I, I feel for you, you know, that you got to live with Rick. You know, it all, it starts with me a chicken. To do it. it starts with a chicken. It, you know what I'm saying? Dude, she sent me out to do it. <laughs> Don't she's put like, this on her. Don't put this on like, her. She's like, she's like, I can't do this. I need you to do it. It's like, no. Dude, if, no. if your friend tells you to jump off a bridge, are you going to do it? No. No. You, sir, killed that chicken in cold blood. <laughs> I should have eaten him. <laughs> Dude, I died. My wife's like, well, all they got to do is call Rick. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic so thank you for uh reminding me of, of of one of my uh worst periods of my life how about we just how about we end this episode with a brand new ghost watch let's do it son let's do it okay um so i've been i'm, I'm working on this uh this series right now for uh spookyisles.com go and check it out don't just check me out check out the other brilliant authors that are there and i'm um doing a, a um a series about manchester england which is one of the you know one of the weirder and more haunted places in england and um basically i'm Raquel and this is ghost watch <laughs> This is going to sound a bit strange, but some places with an extraordinary amount of ghostly activity really don't care to have that label, most haunted place in Britain. It would stand to reason that as soon as they are known for their supernatural denizens, every ghost hunter and paranormal enthusiast will eventually come knocking on their door. This plan of keeping their reputation on the down low, as it were, only proves to make those stories more believable, at least in my opinion anyway. You may ask, then if they are so reluctant to share their spectral activity, then how do these stories get out? 
The answer is quite simple, really. Leaks. And stately old Withenshaw Hall, five miles south of Manchester Center, is one such place. The hall story began long ago in the 13th century when it was mentioned in the 1297 charter as a deer park. It was used by the powerful and wealthy Tatton family who used it for hunting and recreation. Centuries on, sometimes around 1540, Robert Tatton saw potential in the land and abandoned its original use. It took a few years, but Tatton constructed the sprawling timber-framed Tudor house that served as a family home for over 400 years. As with many grand country manors, violence, bloodshed, and political intrigue found its way to its front door. When a war broke out between Parliament and the King, the Tattons remained firmly in the Royalist camp. They staunchly defended the King and country as they felt it was their sacred duty. Parliamentary forces did learn of this and besieged Withenshaw Hall under the command of Robert Duckenfield. The Tatton family fought bravely until two large cannons were brought from Manchester and Tatton surrendered along with his house. The parliamentary forces did confiscate the house, but eventually returned the house and lands to the Tattons for the sum of 700 pounds. With all that behind it, a descendant of Robert Tatton sold the house and land to Manchester with the stipulation that it be used for the common good. One of those uses for the common good was an art, art gallery that brought culture to the people of Manchester in the 1930s. Many repairs were made to the hall, which was beginning to fall into disrepair. And in the 1950s, Withenshaw Hall was granted grade two status. These repairs lasted a little over 60 years, when in 2016, a local arsonist from nearby Withenshaw set the hall ablaze, severely damaging it. Thankfully, further repairs were made and the hall recently opened to the public in 2022. A common theme that has dominated so-called haunted houses is extensive repairs and renovations can stir up or breathe life into old ghosts. And although Withenshaw Hall likes to keep their ghosts out of the public eye, all the repairs appear to have awakened long dormant ghostly activity, and not all of them are friendly. What British haunting would be complete without the iconic White Lady, a ghost that figures in the hauntings of many castles and houses? and Withenshaw Hall has its very own White Lady. The upper floors of the hall are the domain of the White Lady. She is known to swiftly run between rooms as if searching for something. If anyone should dare to follow her or approach her, she vanishes from sight. An explanation for the mysterious White Lady's identity has been offered. In life, she was believed to have been a servant named Mary Webb. And she's not searching for anything, but rather fleeing from parliamentary forces. Mary may be looking for a place to hide and never found it before being captured. Her pleas for mercy and screams still ring out through the halls before being silenced. Another often reported ghost in British ghost lore is the shadowy apparition of a monk. The monk is said to silently walk through the building and his face is concealed from all who see him. The White Lady and the Silent Monk are not alone in haunting the old house. Various bangs are heard in empty rooms. Footsteps are known to follow people as they explore the house. And heavy doors are heard and seen flying open and being slammed shut by unseen hands. Withenshaw Hall may not embrace its haunted reputation, but its many ghosts don't share in its reluctance.
I'm Rick Hale, and this was Ghostwatch. Fantastic. I love so, that. hey, sorry. Uh, so, for first off, sorry about the dog. Uh, Jamie just came home. So, mm. you know, I, Smalls see, loses her shit. I was just about to mention, I thought maybe PETA was at your door. <laughs> it's only a matter of time, buddy. Only a matter of time. Chicken hey, well, killer. Yeah, that's all right, man. We've all got our demons. We've all got them. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, <laughs> carrying on. So, yeah, Withenshaw Hall is one of those places that, although there are many stories about it, they really do their best to kind of say, we don't really want people here investigating our ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. Just like farmers are saying, we really don't want Rick here. <laughs> Especially around our chickens. <laughs> That's why there's a chicken shortage, y'all, in this country. This man right here. <laughs> right here. Fuck so yeah, with my hey. chicken wings, hail. <laughs> oh, I could go for some chicken wings. Anyways, you know, another great show, Steven. We had a you know a return guest, one of our favorites, mm -hmm. you know, told us how it is, and that's how we like it here at the Shadow Initiative. Yep, it is what it is, not what you think it is. And with I, that, they, yeah. so guys, no check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative. Write us with your paranormal stories at shadow initiative talk at gmail.com. Listen to our podcast everywhere. If you want to visualize these two sexy beasts, you can watch us at channel label 13 on YouTube because we are often showing uh, paranormal evidence videos interviews like with the great tony h cadwell today um so you can find us anywhere and our facebook group is growing and growing thank you new members we're having a great time um yes, please, yeah please keep commenting making suggestions we do this show for you and for the truth and killing chickens anyways hey, <laughs> thanks everybody see you next week peace out